0: Lord, we thank you for the day. Thank you for Kurt and Karina and all that they're doing and so many others serving. Thank you for those who've chosen to serve in the kids area even right now and are loving our sons and, and daughters and nieces and nephews. And God, thank you for just a, a little bit of time in the window of our week to focus our attention back to you and what you've said. And so God, open our, our minds to see Open our ears to really hear what you're saying, so that we would le- live wise lives. In Jesus' name, uh, Amen. Well, we're continuing our series called "Words of the Wise" for this summer. And just because some of you weren't here last week, or you just stopped in for the weekend, uh, we are, have already learned that proverbs, which is a lot of the wisdom part of the Bible, proverbs are not promises. Rather, they're the way life works most of the time. So if you've ever tried to read the Bible and you get to this section called Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or Song of Songs or these little sayings, you're like, well, my life doesn't fit to that. That's right. Proverbs aren't promises. So last week we looked at a verse, but before we do that, to kind of how to understand wisdom. Wisdom, if you want to think of it from the big picture, is knowing the right time and right circumstances to apply the right principles to the right person. We looked at that last week. Wisdom, the same wisdom saying isn't for everyone at all times. So in order to to grow in wisdom, I need to know the right thing to say, but the right setting and the right person at the right time. And that is a skill. It's not automatic. You learn it. And one verse that kind of played that out, is a common proverb we've probably heard if you can go into church since you were a kid. Start off children, Proverbs 22, six. Start off children on the way they should go and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Last week, we were reminded that's not a promise. So if you're a student now and your mom and dad love Jesus or so your grandma and grandpa will bring you and they love Jesus and they start you by like the Bible and and the faith and and worship, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to follow Jesus. But wisdom says, learn about God, follow Jesus as early as you can. Start off on the right path, and when you grow older, you won't turn from it. So statistics prove out to be true. Most people, more than 75% of those who claim the Christian faith, if they're asked when that started, it started before the age of 14, doesn't mean they were fully committed, doesn't mean in university or in young adult life, they didn't wander away. But most people who are as adults are following Jesus. It started, the seed was planted young. So Proverbs 22.6 is not a promise, but it is a principle, and it's something that we should lean towards. So if you have some sort of influence on a younger life, encourage them in what you know of Jesus, young. Why? When they grow old, they'll have that foundation, and more than likely, they will not turn from it. Makes sense. So it's not a guarantee. Now, the question is, what I want to look at today is how. So if the proverb, the piece of wisdom, is to start off young in the right direction and not turn from it later, how do I actually do that? Now, don't worry, if you're not a parent, this is not going to be a parenting talk, but rather, Everyone here has some sort of influence. You're either an influence at work, you have some people under you, are an influence at school, maybe you're a sophomore or a senior, and there are some freshmen, you have younger brothers and sisters, or just in life, people look to you for wisdom. Okay, let's take this principle and this proverb and let's tease it out. How do we help people start in the right direction? In our lingo as a church, we're here to help people experience life in Jesus. The only reason we're here is because we're experiencing Jesus' life. It's really changing us. And we see because we're following Jesus, we want to help people to experience that same thing, the same presence of the living God helping us to live the way He intended. All right, how? How do you start someone in the way that they would go? How do you live with skill? How do you walk in wisdom and grow in wisdom? Well, all I had to do is this is how Proverbs work in particular. Proverbs repeats itself. If you've ever read all 31 chapters, they're repetitive. You see them come and go again and again and again. So when you're looking at to know wisdom, don't look at one verse and say, okay, I'm going to do that. Rather, look at everything in that area and see if there's some words repeated. If the words are repeated again and again, that's a principle you can probably lean on. So what I want to do today is I thought, okay, How do you start? I just looked at all the Proverbs, and with a quick word search, like child, like parent, I looked at Proverbs to see in all of them, what does God say to parents about raising kids, and is there a recurring theme? And we're going to look at this one theme that you can use in your own life and to help people to experience life in Jesus in whatever way that you live. All right, what does God say to parents? Um, we'll look at five. There were more than 15 because I love you. We narrowed it down to five. But there, there are more. I just chose five. Proverbs, you know, I said Proverbs 22. I lied. Proverbs 13, 24. Proverbs 13, 24. I believe most of these will be on the screen. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. Nothing like a soft summer series just to make you like, you know, like you're all in the chill mode, right? Okay, whoever spares rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. I'm going to show you how to read Proverbs. There are parallel lines. Sometimes the first line is amplified by the second line. And that, it repeats itself, says the same thing twice. And you look to see how it enhances it to learn what it means. We're going to kind of go through this, so don't worry. Other times, it contrasts it. Antithetical parallelism, if you want to know the fancy term. Parallel lines. One says a positive thing. The other says a negative thing. Here's my point. To read a proverb, you need to read the whole thing and get what it's saying before you tease out how to apply it. So many times we read a proverb and we say, I think this means... And there's nothing wrong with that, but you could be thinking wrong. So we want to learn how to read Proverbs well. Whoever spares the rod hates the children. So someone withholds discipline from their children, and they hate them. The one who loves, so there's a contrast. The one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. So there's two paths. Wisdom is about two paths. The path where you really, by your actions, are showing you don't care, is withholding discipline. No one likes it, but the person who loves their people that they're responsible for, in this case, children, or you could be your employees, it could be your students in school, if you really love them, you will demonstrate discipline. That's that's the point of the parable. There's four more that say almost the same thing. Proverbs 19, 18. You can go there or jot it down, and we'll look at it from the screen. Discipline your children for in that there is hope. Now, the other one contrasts love and hate. This proverb is going to build. Discipline your children for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. If you want to see your children or the people you're responsible for have a bright future, then don't do stuff that's going to lead to their destruction. So discipline is seen as this hopeful thing. How many enjoy when someone rebukes you, disciplines you? Nobody does. Proverbs says, though, discipline is going to lead you on the path of hope. Oh, but you don't want to be the kind of person that doesn't give hope, doesn't discipline, because then you may allow them to go to the path of death. Sometimes they contrast, sometimes they build. All right, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. So going off course or being flippant or making mistakes, that's, that's in the heart of a child. You don't expect a two-year-old to do complex math, right? You don't expect them to pay the bills. You don't expect them to make big decisions. So the ability to go off is in the heart of a child. But if you want that child to grow up and be mature, the rod of discipline is necessary Again, when we read them, we read language in Proverbs that is sometimes like, wow, wh- why would God say that? It sounds harsh. But remember that Proverbs is wisdom literature. It's like poetry. Short words pack a huge punch. They're supposed to incite emotions. They're supposed to get you really thinking. They're supposed to shake you up. So if it, it seems harsh, that is the point. Because there are two roads. Wisdom is going to lead to life. Folly, the fool, the undisciplined, is going to lead to death. So Proverbs are extreme on purpose to wake us up. You with me? All right, great. Two more. Proverbs 23 uh, 13 and 14 says, Don't withhold discipline from a child. If you punish them with the rod, there goes that rod again, right? Are you enjoying the rod? They will not die. See, you're not going to kill them. Punish them with the rod and save them from death with whole discipline. And you're actually not going to help them. Oh, by the way, that discipline's not going to kill them. But but if you do punish them, if you do discipline them, you're going to save them. Sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Rod of discipline sounds like ouch, but that's saving. Withholding discipline sounds nice. That's hurting. Do you see the contrast? One more. Proverbs 29, 17. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. Growing up as a kid, my parents fully believed, fully, fully, fully (laughs) believed in discipline. (laughs) And so I heard the line. I love the line. Now son, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. I'm like, You have no idea. (laughs) But you know what? He's right. My dad, my mom, they were right. A disciplined life actually has led to their peace. We have the greatest relationship. We have absolutely a wonderful relationship with my mom and dad. And I see the blessing that they gave me at the time I hated them. And their philosophy of life. And I swore to myself, when I grow up, I will never do what my parents did. And now I'm saying, oh my gosh, I become my dad. <laughs> Actually, genetically I have. If you follow me on Instagram, my dad and I like look identical. So discipline your children, you'll give them peace. They will bring you delights that you desire. So poetry, wisdom, paints a picture, you want to have a peaceful life? You want to be satisfied? Oh, by the way, inflict discipline. Now, what's the word that was in all of them, all five of these? What, there's one word that was repeated all five times. What is it? It's discipline. Rod almost made the cut, but you know what? <laughs> discipline. Now, when I say spare the rod, and rod of discipline and punish, I, I recognize that evokes all sorts of emotions. Some people have taken these verses and have manipulated them to say, I can beat my child as hard as I want, because that's what God's designed. All I want us to say and see this morning is that these words are meant to paint a picture that has a deep-seated God-birth truth in it, and that is an undisciplined life. All five say the same thing. An undisciplined life doesn't bring you peace. It doesn't bring them peace. It doesn't bring their help. It does not go well if you live undisciplined. And the reverse is true. If you discipline, if you have authority. If you are disciplined, if you're under authority. If you receive discipline, you actually end up in the place that you wouldn't have imagined. It's hard for a moment, but it pays off for a lifetime. Discipline. So the way that you start off a child or anyone in the way they should go is this base level understanding of discipline. Today, I just want us to have a conversation about the importance and the wisdom of growing in discipline. Remember, growth, any sort of growth, according to Proverbs, of a child to an adult is going to require discipline. Now, I looked at all the Hebrew words that are used in Proverbs on the word discipline. We're not going to do a big word study, but there are two big ideas. Different words are used that are translated in different English words But there's really two ideas in play when it comes to discipline. And I want us to tease out both and think about the implications. Fair enough? Two ideas, training and correction. So I want to look at those in turn. Discipline equals, if you want to live a disciplined life, it means you're trained. And if you want to discipline someone, it doesn't involve, if we hit the emotion, it involves punishment. The positive side of discipline is you are called to instruct, to train, and training is going to require something, and it's called correction. We'll look at it in turn. Discipline number one involves training. Now, wh- what's, your, what's your dream? I want you to attach this to something, because if it's just conceptual, it's not going to go anywhere. What is it that you hope to do 10 years from now? What is it that you hope to be 20 years from now? What are you working towards? Okay, okay. It it could be career-driven, it could be relational-driven, it could be financially-driven. You pick out where you want to go. And then I want us to filter through these two things that make up discipline, training and correction, to test yourself and see, are you actually going in the direction of that goal, dream, vision, or are you moving in another direction? And if so, I hope this morning you will choose to change paths. Paths. What we see in Proverbs is that skill is not automatic. Train up a child. Start a child. Discipline a child. Rod of correction. The assumption there is that the child or the young employee or recent college graduate or new parent or newly married couple or whatever, the assumption is that skill is learned. It's not automatic. So if you want to head towards that path, know this, you're probably going to have to acquire some skills you do not have right now. And that's why we all need training. My daughter, Allie, she was here and she's in her class now. She just finished fourth grade. And we just, we gave birth to good readers. It has nothing to do with us. They just, they like to read and they watch. Carmen and I read often. So Jonah is a great reader. He reads more books than I do and they're sick. And he loves all sorts of genres, that I'm not interested. I'm more interested in knowledge and acquiring. He's more interested in fantasy at this stage. But he's a great reader. Alina, she starts books and doesn't finish. She just loves to start a new book and then halfway through. And so her her teacher noticed that and it's not that she's a bad reader, but her teacher being wise wants her to be a better reader. Part of reading comprehension, I know this is base, is actually knowing the end of the story. It's kind of important, right? Right? So in order to tell a story about what the book was about, you actually have to know how it ended. So petering out halfway because it was boring isn't always helpful. And by the way, as a life skill, that's not going to go well for her. If halfway through learning about the job, like I don't need to know the second half, that's going to come against her. So the teacher was like, what I wanted to do is grow. So here's what we're going to do. After school, I wanted to read 20 minutes a day. She can read it out loud. She could pick any book she wants. You pick fun books. Have her pick the books. And here's the goal. 20 minutes every day, and she has to finish the story. Now, some will say, like, is that a punishment? It's wisdom. Wisdom says she's a good reader. She can become a great reader. And how many of you know that reading is a fundamental skill that's going to help you in anything in life? So this wise teacher I'm so grateful for brought us in. Brought in Allie, parent teacher. Here's what I want you to do. You can pick the books. By the way, I have to pay my daughter a dollar every time I use her name. And so this is costing me right now. <laughs> but it's worth it to get the point. And, and I, I, I want you to get skilled. You're a good reader. You could be a great reader. I know, okay. You're going to finish the book. So all we did was reminded her most every day. I said, I don't want to do it now. No gymnastics. You can't do your flips until you read the book. I don't want read the 20 minutes. Read it out loud. Then you can do, okay. And she'd pull it off. And did you finish the story? Yes, I finished the story. Well, we noticed a development over the co- course of this school year. She has grown as a reader. She is reading longer. The other day, we're in the, we're in the car driving. And she's like, stop it, guys. I'm reading a book. And I actually like it. I don't usually like these books. But she's like, be quiet. She's telling us to shut up because she's finishing her book. Training feels harsh at the moment, but it produces great Results And so I want to remind you, like I need to remind myself is that in life, God wants to build skills into you and training is required. Just be reminded, Proverbs wisdom is saying God is training you for a lifetime. God's interested in your long haul. God's moving in the long term direction of your life. And it could be that in your 60s and 70s and 80s, God is going to have you do some stuff you would have never imagined. So now you're 15 and he's dealing with a point in your life and you find it to be annoying. But God in his grace is looking long-term. Mr. Plunkett, for my daughter, was looking long-term and training is required to gain the skills. And can we just be honest, when it comes to following Jesus, some of us, all of us, lack skill. We love God with our heart and emotionally we're attached and we believe this is true. But what about the skills to growth? What about the skills to living like Jesus? What about the actual skills to being an influencer rather than being influenced by the culture around us? If you want to grow and be used by God, it requires training. This is why uh, in Deuteronomy 8, The setting is Israel was promised by God. God says, I'm going to get you out of Egypt. I'm going to give you your own land. It's going to be great. Follow me. Uh, Israel comes out of Egypt. They go into the desert. And God says, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And what does Israel do? Everything opposite of what God said. And for 40 years, they wander around. When God intended to get them straight into the land, they wander because wisdom says there are two paths. Now, I'm going to say something that might sound controversial. It's actually just true. You can love Jesus with your heart, love him affectionately, and destroy your life. You just need to know this. Just because you chose to follow Jesus and say, Jesus, I am sin-filled, but you're a Savior. I, I receive your love. I receive your grace. does not guarantee that you're not going to blow up your life. So sometimes we blame God and say, God, where are you? You feel so far away. Israel read Exodus and Deuteronomy because those books remind us that God loves, but when people disobey, it takes them off the course. That doesn't mean there isn't grace for you. That doesn't mean there isn't forgiveness. That doesn't mean there isn't a second chance. God does give Israel a second chance in Deuteronomy 8. The younger generation, the older generation, by the way, never make it into the land. Proverbs are full of warnings. The path that leads to death. A whole generation never experienced the fullness of what God had for them. Never. They died. And that's a warning to the younger generation. If you choose to throw off God, don't expect God to fill your life with bliss when you don't care about him. For one thing, that doesn't make any sense. And that's not a God I would want to serve. But when we do honor God with our lives, we see that he will bring us, even in our disobedience, towards blessing. Here's what I want us to catch. The younger generation, here's Deuteronomy 8. Look at what God says. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for 40 years to humble and test you in order that you would know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. So all of what was going on with the parents was a test. Would they follow God or not? While the kids are watching, God humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. So God's faithful. Which you neither or you you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. God said, trust me, I'm going to feed you. They complained to Moses, how come we don't get any food? Who is this God? And God sends food from heaven. The point is, All of life is a training opportunity. You're wondering, how did I end up in this pickle? Why am I in this mess? Why is my company going sideways? Why, 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 why? And God says to Israel, like he says to us, oh, wait a minute, I am allowing this so that you will not rely on bread, but you'll rely on me. On every word that comes out of my mouth, wisdom is about looking to God in all of life. So God allows stuff to them and to us that's not comfortable. Why? So that our eyes would be open to who God is. Your clothes, God says, did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then, and I wanted you to catch a slide, in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Training is rarely enjoyable. There are a few people who just love the gym because the gym is the gym. few people just like are enamored by the training process. For most, training is just hard work. It's just putting in your dues. It's just getting in when you have to. Train, so, so for Israel, the training was, would they trust God for a piece of bread? Here's why. And the land, there were armies that would crush them. If you tr- can't trust God for a piece of bread... How in the world are you going to trust God when an army is attacking you? All of life, friends, is a training opportunity for you. Jesus loves you. He cares for you. His grace is there for you. And now he's saying, will you be wise? When I give you a little, will you follow me? So for Israel, that required discipline. When they do not follow a loving, hear me, a loving parent, steps in and says, that is not okay. I think most of us, we've been exposed to two extremes that we do not want to fall into. The extremely tough parenting, discipling, training mode, which has no grace at all, right? Basically, you're a loser and you're never going to own up to anything. Why can't you get it right? And some of you, that was your life. That's what all you heard was, you can't get it right and perfection is required. And that's like an impossibility, And that's an extreme we need to avoid. Can I just say, though, I think many of us fall to the opposite extreme and say, oh, they're going to be okay. (laughs) Oh, they're just a kid. Oh, it was not a big deal. And both of those extremes are equally dangerous. All of us have seen a young person grow up with absolutely no roadmap and no discipline let me tell you, friends, they don't pick it up later on. Small bad habits turn out to be huge character flaws. And so, again, this isn't a parenting seminar, but this can apply to anything in life. Avoid those extremes. Now, when it comes to living out discipline and training, I'm just going to say what you already know. There are two natural tendencies in life. One is some of us are hardwired achievers, so training for you may come more naturally, you're a little more type A. You're very goal-driven. You've mapped out your future and everyone else is. You know who you are. And so for you, that might not be a, that might not be a, a hard thing to so say, like, well, discipline, I just know what to do and I do it. Can I just say, wisdom for you is going to be learning to say no. Learning to stop highly driven people fall off the end of destruction by trying to do too much. And they get out of balance and they end up achieving at one thing and destroying everyone around them. And it's horrible, and it can be avoided. So the achiever has to hear wisdom. Wisdom says, slow down. And then the other side, the other natural personality bent, are those who are more generally chill. And, 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 and I'm on the type A side. I don't fully understand the chill side. And I, I see it, and I, there's certain aspects I appreciate well, well, God gives balance usually to both oftentimes opposites attract, so my wife is definitely more on the chill side and i 'm definitely more on the <laughs> side and and she brings balance to the force, balance to the universe, say calm down, your vein is popping out, calm down now at the same token I can say hey let's 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 try this and let's do a little more so For those who are a little more on the chill personality, wisdom is going to say sometimes we need someone to get in our face and train us to light the fire a little bit. We can underachieve the things that God wants to put in our world. There may be some things out there. All that to say is whatever your natural tendency is, you're still going to need wisdom. So wisdom is not for the overachiever or the quote-unquote underachiever. Wisdom is for both to realize that you're a little messed up. And just because your natural bent is one way, it doesn't mean that that's going to help you. Now, here's the answer. What do I do? I want to be trained. I want to be instructed. But how do I move forward? Paul tells his young leader that he's mentoring Timothy. This is what he says, 2 Timothy 1.7. For the Spirit of God does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and what? Self-discipline. So Paul has, if you read First and 2 Timothy, he has a lot to say to this young leader. Sometimes he has to say, stir it up a bit. Other times he has to say, don't argue with with older leaders. You're the younger person. Be careful when you argue. A good mentor, a good leader knows the people under them, whether it's parent to child or work or whatever, and you see their natural tendency and you bring a word of wisdom. Sometimes light it up, other times calm down And Paul, if you read him carefully, sometimes he tells Timothy to speed up and other times he tells him to slow down. In the same way, you and I have the Holy Spirit. So, so Paul's not physically with Timothy and he says, don't forget, you have been given the Spirit. The Spirit knows how you're wired because he wired you. So God himself can train you. And this is the good news. This is why this is not self-help. This is like, this is Jesus stuff. Jesus has given you a spirit because the spirit of Jesus lives within you. If you want to be trained, hear me, if you want to grow in godliness, if you want to grow in understanding and fulfilling God's will for your life, God will lead you. But you have to partner with him. So often we just do what we think is right and we don't pause and say, Holy Spirit of God, which way should I go? All right, second thing. Discipline requires. So discipline requires involves instruction. Second thing, discipline requires correction. We've talked about it a bunch, but let's look at one of the Proverbs we saw a few minutes ago. Proverbs thirteen twenty four. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. You know, spare the rod, spoil the child. I just want to bring out one little how to read Proverbs insight. The center of the proverb is not the rod. Because the rod is only mentioned once. Whoever spares the rod hates their children. But look at what is repeated. Whoever does this hates their kids. The one who loves them does something different. Whoever disciplines their children loves them. Whoever does not discipline their child hates them. The, the parallel thought is real love involves correction so I'm not here to make a statement about spanking not spanking or how you discipline anyone there will be another teaching another other day for that because it's important but the basic premise is huge a lack of discipline in anyone's life will always turn them the wrong way so great love always involves training and and training requires correction. We've got the Olympics coming up. Perfect example. Uh, my daughter loves gymnastics. And so we watch a bit of gymnastics. Gymnastics coaches are not necessarily the nicest people you've ever met. Now, I'm not, this is not a slam. But if you watch them, I, I watch my daughter, and when she goes to gymnastics, these coaches, they seem sweet. But when those girls are in the gym doing their stuff, and they say do a split, they are pushing them down. When they do the move slightly incorrectly, they love it and say, that was great, but this. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. And it's not because they hate them, and it's not because they're masochistic. It's because real love, real friendship realizes if you want to make it to the Olympics, if you want to make the gold, then you need to get what is wrong right. And real good coaching says this was partly good, but this part needs to be replaced. And you keep at it and keep at it until they get it right. So the Olympic athletes that we celebrate, what we do not see are the years and decades of correction. All those athletes have been told your footing is wrong, your speed is wrong, your diet is wrong, not to put them down, but to build them up. So good discipline involves not only positive training, Alina learning how to read, and finish a book, but it involves correction. Saying you're not going to do gymnastics, you're not going to watch media until you accomplish this task. So let, let's look at it from another perspective. Proverbs 27, verse six. Because we've been talking a lot about parenting, but let's talk about friendship. Here's another proverb: Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, how's that for a visual? Wounds from, I thought friends wouldn't wound me, actually. Good friends will wound you for a moment. Good friends, real friends get in your face when you're off. You want to know the test of true friendship is you have something stuck in the middle of your teeth. That piece of salad, that little green thing. A real friend's going to say, you know, but but a not-so-great friend is going to let you go off and spend the whole day embarrassing yourself and not let you know any insight that you... A good friend, on a serious tone, is going to tell you about the stuff that's not right in your life. An enemy multiply... I would never think of my enemy kissing me. But someone who's not so good of a friend is just going to tell me what I want to hear and, 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 and make it nice and make me feel comfortable... But legitimate friendship involves training and correction. True friends, discipline. Again, discipline has such a negative connotation, but wisdom says it's the important building block. All of wisdom is going to require a start. A start is going to require discipline, training, and correction in order to get you in the right way. Now, a note on this, because we can mess this one up. When I say the wounds of a friend, tone... And motive matter. When you and I, if we want to be a good friend, a good follower of Jesus, good disciple, good parent, good husband, good wife, good employer, how you say what you say is as important as what you say. How many of you have been told the right thing the wrong way? It's like, man, that was that was really that was really good news, but the way they did it was so either over the top or embarrassing because it was in public. They Told me they should have told me this in private. You shouldn't have gone public about it. So so motivation matters. That's why Paul tells parents for, in Ephesians six, he says, "Kids, honor your parents in the Lord. It's the first commandment with a blessing." But then look at what he says to parents, Ephesians six four, fathers, don't exasperate, which means provoke to anger your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction. Of the Lord. Don't go overboard. If you're if you're gonna be a good friend, if you're gonna be a wise leader, tone, timing. Remember, wisdom is about the right principle to the right person at the right place at the right time. And so this is why we need the Holy Spirit, because there are times where we need to cool off and calm down before we say those words. This is why, and I'll go on a rant here for a second, just give me a moment. This is why social media is venomous. And unfortunately, because it is the language of our day, and just like toddlers, the human race is learning on how to speak virtually. By the way, they didn't do this 20 years ago. So it's a new medium. So now a news item hits, whether it's the tragedy in Dallas or whatever's going on in Minneapolis or wherever. And these are tragedies. And then everyone just starts spitting venom to get more likes. Not realizing, and I'm just going to speak, if you're not following Jesus, this isn't for you. If you are a follower of Jesus, your primary identity is an ambassador to Jesus. So that means your politics, your personal choices, all of that needs to come under the leadership of Jesus in order to be wise. If people know you as the right wing, left wing, green, brown, whatever color you are, if they know you as that, over and above your allegiance to Jesus, grace, mercy, love, kindness, then you are missing the plot. And wisdom says if you continue down that road, you will send people on the path that leads to destruction rather than the path that leads to life. So when in doubt, do not post it until you've thought about it for a moment in light of my allegiance to Jesus, how is this going to be received? Well, it's my Facebook page. So what? Just because you have it does not give you the right to spit venom and then wonder why people wonder about Christians. Rant done. All right. We should have done this after the, like, before the barbecue because at least you get pork. Anyway, all right. So... Discipline involves training, discipline involves correction, and the third one, and and catch this, discipline is always relational. Discipline by its nature is relational. The people that have grown me up the most are people that I know. Think about the people who have most influenced your life for the good. How would you describe your relationship with them? You see, the key to training and correction is that we're in relationship. So Hebrews 12 says this. My son, this is is the writer speaking to Christians. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. God disciplines you. God disciplines me all of the time. He trains me, corrects me. Not out of hate, out of love. It's because I am related to God, because he's brought me close, that he wants my character to be reshaped. And so if you want to grow grow in your discipleship to Jesus, know he is for the rest of your life going to get in your face. By the way, this little statement here from Hebrews is a quote from Proverbs 3.11. It's interesting, the Bible quotes the Bible So the New Testament writer, in light of Jesus, picks up on ancient wisdom and says, that which was written to Israel about being a son or a daughter and God disciplining you now applies to the church. God's word in this case does not change because Jesus loves you and forgives you and sets you free and rescues you and empowers you. He will continue to get in your grill. So verse seven, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Now, how does God tease this out? Catch this. We learn discipline from one another. How does God discipline you? Most often, it is not from a voice. I believe that God speaks to his children in all sorts of ways. So if you say, I was praying, and it seemed as though God was saying to me, I'm like, that's totally legitimate. But can I just suggest, and I'll throw a number just for fun, 75% of God's discipline in your life will come through someone else who's full of the Spirit of God saying, hey, this doesn't seem to be in line with what God has said. Most of the discipline that God's going to do as a parent to a child, he's going to use someone else. As a matter of fact, some discipline you're receiving right now, and I don't even know you, and I don't even know your situation, but very, the very reading of Proverbs and Hebrews is already chipping away at things in your soul that you know are not in alignment with God. And that's what God does, which means Kenny's call To community life. Our church is called to community life. Why are we so adamant about first Sunday we all get together? Why are we so adamant about getting together in homes and coffee shops and dorm rooms and doing life together? Why are we we extreme on saying if nobody else knows your phone number so that when you don't show up for three weeks, someone's not ringing you up or texting you saying, where are you? Then you're not in a healthy spot. Now, God's goal is that you would get there, but I am telling you, I've been around the block. Followers of Jesus who fall off the cliff, not always, but most often pulled away from their community first. Subtly, showed up half the time, took long breaks away, never go deeper than how's the weather. And then suddenly, you find like, where are they? And they're so far from the heart of God. Doesn't mean they can't come back. But I'm here to tell you, if you pull away from Jesus' community, you're setting yourself on the path that leads to destruction. That is a promise. It's a promise. Don't do that, so say the Proverbs. This is why community life is so important. I, I have this in my life. I'm, it's not perfect, but I've got a group of, of elders here that I look to for leadership. So I'm not just telling you to do something. When I have big decisions, Carmen and I, we talk about it, we pray about it, and I throw all the big decisions at our team of elders here. Here's why. I know they love me. They have real relationship. We get together often. We text often. We talk often. And I know they have my best interest, so I know they will get in my grill. I got Kenny, who time and time again, his words to me are, I'm concerned about you. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you're going too fast. And I thank God that someone else is checking my speedometer because that's love. I got John who was in the last gathering who I've been having this running thing on my knee and my muscles here because I'm not stretching because after the run, I want to move on. And evidently stretching afterwards is important. And I hadn't been doing it, and it's messing me up. And I got John emailing me, hey, maybe you shouldn't be running a marathon. Maybe you should look at a half marathon. You don't re- really want to injure yourself, a.k.a. you're old. Stop it. <laughs> he didn't say that. But it, reading between the lines, he was telling me, maybe, you sh- maybe you're not up to this. But he, his tone was right on. I love you. I want to see you healthy for the long haul. I don't want to see you with this recurring industry. Maybe you need to slow down right now. I... Uh, was working on a master's degree while this church was planted, and it took me six years in doing that. And it, it's, whatever margin I had has been gone. And I've been kind of looking forward to, okay, when I finish in May, I'm actually going to have a little margin in a very marginless life. A couple of weeks after graduation, I get invited to teach a class at the school I graduated from. I'm like, I'm giddy. I'm like, wow, I got the piece of paper and they want me. This is great. So I'm, I'm ready to do it. Oh, let me email the guys. And then I got, within a week, an invitation <laughs> this is a weird one, to be a trustee at a university. Why in the world would they be inviting me? But for some reason, like, hey, we want you to come on this leadership team of a university and help us as we look towards our future. I'm like, that sounds exciting. And I'm like, oh, ooh. And I email the guys, what do you think? No. <laughs> Good idea, bad timing. You need to stop. What about your kids? I'm like, the one by one. I'm like, I rebuke you, I rebuke you, I rebuke you, I rebuke you. And without fail, all of them said, we love you. The timing is not right. It sounds like a great idea. We think you should say no. And wisdom says, listen to your godly men and women in your world. Now, ironically, my wife gently reminded me like, know it's exactly what I was telling. I showed a John, John's email about my running. He's like, I've been telling you that for a year now. I'm like, okay, Lord, thank you. And wisdom is found in the counsel of many. Let me just ask you, do you have people who are willing to tell you no and that you're going to respect them alof- enough to listen? If you want to grow to discipleship to Jesus, you need to learn to be trained and you need correction and it's going to happen relationally. So who are your people? Like if I were to ask you after the gathering, give me your three people that you can look to and they know you well enough to get in your face. Do you have them? If not, don't be discouraged, but be alert. Don't, 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 don't get depressed, but wake up and ask that God would get, they're probably in your world right now, you're just not allowing them the space to get in. And in that, These are words to the wise. You want to be a wise person? It's going to require discipline. Now, two questions to set the trajectory. We want to listen to the Spirit and respond in worship. And it's two sides of the same question, really. The first is, in which area can you, or areas, can you help train others? You're a leader in God's world. So you're a little further than someone else. So it's not just about how can God, like, shape you up? How can you shape others? Do you have any margin in your world right now that you're willing to give to other people who don't know Jesus or who do know Jesus and want to grow in him? Or is everything about you? Wisdom says, those who refresh others, Proverbs say, will themselves likewise be, likewise be refreshed. Those who give away, receive. So let's ask first how are you investing in the lives of other people? If you want to grow and be trained, why not, rather than waiting for someone to train you, why don't you invest in someone else and see if God is not kind enough to bring someone in your world? And the second is kind of the same thing, reverse. In what area in, or areas do you need God's correction? Not do you need God's correction, grow up. We all need it all the time. I need to be shaped every day, every week, and the more I grow in Jesus, the more I realize I'm not like him, I'm not like him at all. But I wanna be. So in what areas do you need God's correction right now? Here's what we wanna do, take your Bible, your, keep your notepad if you do a notepad or, or you know, on an app and keep the notepad open. And now we're gonna invite the Holy Spirit to do his best work and we're gonna ask him. Because remember, he didn't give you this spirit of timidity We give the spirit of power and love and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit knows everything you need. And actually, the Holy Spirit can tell you right now the first practical step that you need to take right now. If you will listen, he will speak to you. So we want to do this. I'm I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite you to just ask the Holy Spirit, okay, what do I need to know and what do I need to do? God may put the picture of someone that you need to invest in. He may remind you of someone that you started investing in and, you know, just life got busy and so you you dropped it. He may say, I love you enough. This thing, person, habit, investment is not going to pay off. Drop it. Just listen for a bit and then Brandon and the team will will lead lead us in response into the bread and the cup. In a few minutes. Lord, here we are, your children, your good father, speak to us in ways that are profound and yet simple. Show us your way, Jesus.